All is available at a table out in the fellowship hall after the service. Also, uh, really made a big dent in, in the kind of needs that we have for serving uh, in the different areas uh, uh, this morning. And there's just a few more spots to clean up. So if you uh, have that on your heart to do, uh, go ahead and see them at the table this evening. I know all of us would appreciate it. When we come to uh, Exodus chapters 35 through 40, we uh, now have a record of the construction uh, of the tabernacle, of the furnishings of the tabernacle, and of the uh, garments associated with the high priest. We've been looking at, uh, uh, for a number of weeks, at a wide variety of things, but among them has been God's instruction for how he wants, uh, the detailed instructions for how he wants these things to be built. And now comes the time to actually uh, build them. And so that's where uh, we find ourselves tonight. Chapter 35, verse 1. And then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and he said to them these are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do work shall be done for six days but the seventh day the Sabbath day shall be a holy day for you a Sabbath of rest to the Lord uh, whoever does any work on it shall be put to death you shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day and so he once again speaks he has several times um, in this book spoken about the importance of the Sabbath and the Sabbath was not just a day of rest but it was a Sabbath or a day of rest to the Lord it was a it was a day in their week that was to be set aside for the nurturing of their personal relationship with God God knew and knows how easy it is for uh, that time given over to the development of that relationship to be crowded out by a million and one things in this world. Even good things, even lawful things like working hard and, and these kinds of things which the, the Bible uh, commends. But it is never to crowd out uh, our relationship with the Lord. Why he introduces it again at this point is because he wants them to understand while the construction now of the tabernacle is very important to him, I mean historically important for, uh, for human history, even as important as the construction of that tabernacle is, it is not to be at the expense of their personal relationship with God. And it's good for us to hear that too. And our personal service to the Lord. Sometimes we can say, well, it's really busy in, in the ministry right now or all the things that I have to do, and so I will cut into the personal time with him and uh, the relationship is what means everything to God and then any service that comes out of that relationship blesses him but not when it gets turned around so he's telling him the relationship is most important to me well, the, ta the tabernacle will get built uh, but not I don't want it to happen at the expense of the intimacy of our relationship. And the Lord spoke to all of the congregation, or Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is... Uh, uh, 
Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, in the breastplate. So... Now they're going to build the tabernacle, uh, and it's, it's going to be a very elaborate tabernacle. The furnishings are very elaborate, covered in gold. Uh, the articles of clothing on the priest, the, the value of the jewels that are associated with that, uh, very, very valuable, very, very expensive. And so God looks to his people and he says, uh, he, he calls on them to give a voluntary offering uh, toward the building of the these things and the constructing of these things and you notice there in verse 5 whoever is of a willing heart let him bring these things uh, to the Lord so that he can use them for the building of the tabernacle he's going to repeat that over and over again in this passage that what God wants given to him he always wants given to him out of a willing heart um, he didn't want anybody to bring it and say you know getting guilted into it or condemned into it or manipulated into giving to God. God only wants from us what we will give willingly and give cheerfully as Paul uh, wrote to the church at Corinth about the offering there that needed to then go to Jerusalem to support the poor Christians that were in Jerusalem and he declared there that God loves a cheerful giver or a hilarious giver. I don't know if you've ever had anybody give you something um, and they really didn't want to or they really let you know how much it cost them to give you that something and uh, or they remind you of it regularly what do you want to do with it not only what do you want to do with it what do you do with it <laughs> take it back this is not worth the aggravation if you didn't want to give it you shouldn't have given it to begin with now you've ruined the whole thing uh, you know what was once a blessing is now ruined because you despise the fact that you gave the gift and and so it ruins the gift for God if people give out a constraint or you know we have like dig deep Sunday you know put your whole wallet in the offering box Sunday or what you know all these methods that we can sometimes have to separate people from their money and it's and God doesn't want it he it's not the money to him it's it's the heart to him and uh, uh, so it, it's always to be given willingly he didn't want anything to be invested in this um, building of the tabernacle that wasn't given willingly because the entire tabernacle all of the furnishings everything was a picture of Christ who gave his life willingly no man takes my life Jesus said I lay it down willingly and so he even wanted the offerings to reflect Christ in in this uh, this is why on Sunday mornings when we receive the tithes and the offerings in, in, in the morning we never take an offering uh, we receive an offering even the language is is there and and we try to treat people with uh, maturity and respect in the receiving of the offering no condemning no constraint no anything it's a privilege to give to God it really is now I'm not setting you up for an offering it's a privilege to give to him what if what if we had to spend every nickel we had on our own stupid selves 
all of our life? What if there was no work of God to invest in? We had to pump it all right back into ourselves, all of our I, me, and mine. I mean, how money would be a, resources would be a curse under that, that kind of a condition. It's a blessing to take resources and say, I want to invest here in what is going to last for eternity. And that's how God views it. So it had to be willingly. And uh, you say, where did these people get all of these, I mean, these, all of the oil and the gold and the bronze and the silver and, and uh, all of this uh, kind of wealth, onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. Remember, when they left Egypt, um, the Egyptians gave them great wealth simply to get them out of there. And we're going to get an idea of how much wealth was given to them when we get to like the price tag of this, uh, of this tabernacle in just a couple of chapters. And, and so uh, that's where the wealth came from. God was only asking them to give what he had already given to them. Now the question would be, would they be able to give some portion of it back willingly? He said, all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. And so uh, Moses calls on the gifted artisans to step forward with their talents and abilities. And uh, here's what they were uh, to make. The tabernacle, its tent, its coverings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The ark and, and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering. The table and its poles, all its utensils and the showbread. Also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle. The altar of the burnt offering with its braised bronze grating, its poles, and all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court, and their cords, the garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons to minister as priests. And so these were all the things that were going to be uh, God wanted to have built and he wanted to use the gifted artisans in order to build them. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of uh, Moses and said, Offering, schmoffering, they're not getting one more dime out of me down there. That's not what happened. Remember, you know the third thing about this offering? Was God was giving these people another chance in, in their spiritual life to use their money for something that counted for eternity. They'd already invested in a golden calf and didn't even blink to do it. Didn't even, whatever that costs, Aaron, you got our money for it. And, and here, after having engaged in that, now they get a chance to sanctify this area of their life. Well, God gives them another chance now to obey Him here in this. And they were very happy to have this second chance and to obey Him. And then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all of its service and for the holy garments. And so they respond with great generosity. 
They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings. Got to melt those down, I think. So they use those things. Rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, and every man with whom was found uh, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, red skins of rams, and badger skins, brought them all the things that were needed to build the tabernacle. And everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering, and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. So not everybody had gold, but this guy over here has got a stack of acacia wood by his tent. Everybody had something. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom uh, spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers, getting into the richer folks here, they brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. And the children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of, of Moses had commanded to be done. And so they respond with tremendous generosity toward the work of, of the Lord. And, uh, and, and may I say, you know, you see so much abuse related to trying to, sometimes in the name of the Lord, people trying to get money out of Christians and for this thing or that thing or, or all of that. And I, I just want to say that in, in a, just a simple way of handling things here since the very beginning of this church, God's people have always responded in this way and taken care of every need that's ever come and vision that God has put on, on the horizon. I remember the first time when we first moved here uh, from Napa, I remember... Uh, uh, the, one of the first checks we got was four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars might have been two mil- easily been two million dollars to us. Four- Somebody cares enough about this to give four hundred dollars, and we needed to buy a guitar uh, to, in order to do worship in the church at that time. And so that was able to do that, and then uh, pay the salary of the complete staff, and uh, uh, pay the utility bills, and all the everything else. But it, it was. But the Lord's always done it, and I've always appreciated. You know, if I fell over and died tonight, or. The Lord came and took us. And not to get into any kind of boasting, sanctified or otherwise. But it is nice to, to have... Their, their, uh, it's always been important to me that people could maybe come here, maybe come here, and, and just see, you know, the Holy Spirit is really good at taking care of this end of things too. And, and supplying for, for the needs. And God's people, uh, the hearts of God's people are really open to this. If they're given an opportunity to... Uh, give to the Lord in a way that that doesn't make them, you know, not want to give to Him in the way that that the thing is being handled. And so, uh, you know, God has been good and He's used you in, in, in that way. And so Moses
Moses, verse 30, said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting jewels for setting, and carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put uh, in his heart the ability to teach in him, and uh, Aholiab, the son of uh, Aha. Hishamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in purple, blue, purple, scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. And so God now uh, publicly commissions Bezalel and Aholiab uh, to the, before the whole congregation of Israel and says these are the two guys that God has chosen and commissioned now to oversee uh, this work of building all of these things. Now I don't know how many artists type we have in the room here today but artists do need some supervision. It's like herding cats. <laughs> you know, they have what we have even in the culture we have what is known as artistic license which means one of the reasons I would want no Nobody would ever think of making a movie of me, but one of the reasons that any of us uh, should never want to die until the time of the rapture is that some artist might make a movie of us. And you talk about revisionist history, I mean you'd think that uh, Winston Churchill uh, came from Peru. Or so, I mean they jumble up all of the facts and say whatever they want and then brand this person in front of an entire generation with how convenient they want to uh, make things or, or the facts that they want to use and, and all. And, and so they, they do need some supervision. God doesn't want any artistic license in this at all. He wants a God-given gift that's given to them them to be exercised in order that they would make all of these things to the exact specifications. God is the ultimate artist. You cannot improve on his work. Uh, and he didn't want anybody getting an idea. You know, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, that looked nice. Uh, 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 a chartreuse would probably, I think, could work here on, on this thing. Uh, and so he, he didn't want any of this help with that. And uh, so these guys are to supervise the construction of it. Would you notice there in verse 31 that these men are not only talented, and God acknowledges their talent. Not everyone can do this kind of stuff. Moses was Moses, but Moses couldn't build this stuff. It took the whole group of God's people to pull this thing off. Moses could do his part. They needed to. Everybody else did their part. Nobody can do everything. And, uh, and so these are tremendously gifted people, these two men. And then the men and women that are going to be added to them, very, very uh, gifted people. But they were also filled with the Spirit. Talent cannot take the place of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in any of our lives and ministries, no matter how talented you may be. Nothing can take the place of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, His leading, His direction, His revelation, and, uh, and His <clears throat> strength. And so, beautiful to see it. And there's something wonderful when you see someone with tremendous natural talent 
And you look at them and say, there's a person that could be very tempted all the days of their life in the body of Christ to rest on their natural talent. But when that kind of person recognizes my talent in terms of, that can be explained in terms of myself, is never going to bring God any glory because he's not going to get recognized in it. It's only as the Holy Spirit takes our talent and then does what we could never even do with that talent that he gets seen and he gets recognized uh, behind it. So when you see someone with tremendous talent but also understands, I'm not going anywhere without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, now you got something special. And that's what these two guys uh, were, were like. Chapter 36. And Bezalel and Aholiab, uh, and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord had, has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all that the Lord uh, has commanded. So God's saying, stick with the program, you artists. Stay with the blueprints. And then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So all these gifts and offerings were given to them. They now bring it to the people who were going to do the work. And uh, so they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. The people kept on, on giving. And then all the craft who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. Too much money! Too many jewels, too much gold, too much silver. Now, you never see this happen in a construction project. Wait a second. I mean, it, it, it's always like under budgeted and they're fighting to get that 20% that the things cropped, crept up on and everything. And... Uh the people have responded so generously that they're looking and saying, don't bring us any more of this stuff. we got more than enough to get this thing uh, done. Amazing, isn't it? Work of God's Spirit and a, a testimony, really. Now this, so you got, you got the golden calf thing, right? Chapter 32, oh my, golden calf, you know, a blotch on their history and, and this particular generation and all. But don't forget about this. God gave them a second chance, and, uh, and they're gonna, they've taken advantage of that second chance now uh, to do right in all areas uh, of their lives. So they said, too much, don't send us any more money or resources. And so Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. Don't gather any more. And the people were restrained from from bringing. How's that for a banner in a church? That kills the thermometer, doesn't it? The people were restrained 
don't bring any more. For the material which they had was sufficient for all the work to be done indeed too much. And so, uh, again, just the beauty of their heart. Now, beginning in verse 8, through the end of this chapter, and, and really beyond, at this point, God uh, begins now for the next four chapters, actually, uh, describing the actual construction of the tabernacle and of the furnishings. And by the way, if you're here with us tonight and you're reading this, these are all things that we've studied in detail previously. So most people know all the detail of the description of all of these these items and then what they res- represent related to Christ. But so here they've already been given the instructions. Now is the time to obey God in in doing it. And that's amazing to me here when you. Look at these four chapters dedicated now to God commanding them to obey it and then a record of their obedience. He just takes two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, to describe the entirety of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And he takes, here's a God who's not a blabber. He's not, uh, you know, saying a lot of things just to say a lot of things. He's very, very terse, very much to the point in what he has to say. And yet, there's something about what is happening here. He says, in terms of even the size of this book, I'm going to invest four chapters to drive this home point, this point home forever related uh, to to my uh, people. And uh, the point that God is making here is, it's not enough uh, to know God's word and his commandments. We have to also obey them in order to be meaningful. So you have James chapter 1 verse 22 where he said, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The hearing always has to turn into doing. And here their hearing now translates into doing and God is so blessed by it that he records it chapter after chapter after uh, chapter. So then all of the gifted artisans among uh, them who worked on the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen and of blue and purple and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim they made them and this is referring to the curtains associated with the tabernacle the length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the width of each curtain uh, four cubits the curtains were all the same size and he coupled five uh, curtains to one another and the other five curtains he coupled to one another he made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage side, uh, selvage of one set. Likewise he did on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops he made on one curtain and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain. On the end of the second set the loops held one curtain to another and he made fifty clasps of gold and coupled the curtains to one another with a clasp that it might be one tabernacle. Or, or might be, yeah, it might be one tabernacle. And so you say, wow. I mean, they, what, what did they do? They built the curtains exactly the way God wanted the curtains built. And exactness is important because it all speaks of Christ, which we won't get into again. But here again, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And he made curtains of goat's hair 
For the tent over the tabernacle, he made eleven curtains. And the length of each curtain was thirty cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And he made fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost on one set, and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the second set. He also made fifty bronze clasps to couple the tent together that it might be one. So the curtain of goat's hair described now. And uh, so again, they not only have the instructions, but they obey what God has told them to do. Uh, be doers of the word. Maybe we could say that together. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then they made uh, a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that. So be doers of God's word and not hearers only deceiving yourself the obedience the obedience the obedience not enough to know we must obey for the tabernacle he made boards of acacia wood standing upright the length of each board was ten cubits and the width of each board was a cubit and a half each board had two tenons for binding one to the another and thus he made for all the boards of the tabernacle and he made boards for the tabernacle twenty boards for the south side forty sockets of silver he made to go under the twenty boards two sockets under each board for its two tenons and for the other side of the tabernacle the north side he made twenty boards and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. On the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He also made two boards for the back two, the two back corners of the tabernacle, and they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus he made both of them for the two corners. And so there were eight boards and their sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each board. He wanted every one of them to be, to be built and they built every one of them just the way that God wanted them to and he made bars of acacia wood this is describing the support structure kind of the framing for the tabernacle and, and, and as he's continuing here in verse 31 and he made bars of acacia wood five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle on the far side westward and he made the middle bar to pass through the boards from one end to the other he overlaid the boards with gold made their rings of gold to be holders for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold so they didn't just hear what God had said they obeyed it then he turns to the veil and he made a veil of blue purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen and was, it was worked with an artistic design of cherubim he made for it four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold and with their hooks of gold and he cast four sockets of silver for them and he also made describing a screen for the tabernacle door it was made of blue purple scarlet thread fine woven linen made by a weaver and its five pillars with their hooks and he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold but their five sockets were bronze and so again exactly as God had uh, called them 
to do it. I, I, you know, it, as we read through this, it, it took them about six and a half months to gather the materials and then construct the tabernacle. There is a lot of hard work behind what we're reading here. It's very easy to read, uh, you know, a description or hear what God wants in these things. There's another thing to obey those things. And uh, so there's a lot of hard work that's represented uh, in, in this, in doing something for the Lord and then finishing that thing that God has, has given us uh, to uh, do. I think it's very interesting, too, that God, as we're going to see uh, here as we enter into this next chapter, God's going to talk about the mercy seat. He's going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, I don't know if anyone would know what an Ark of the Covenant was, apart from the Indiana Jones movies in the United States of America. But everybody has a sense that that's pretty important. And uh, and then, but you look over here, and the fact that the support structure would be made of a particular wood, and it would be covered in a certain metal, because both the wood and the metal speaks of Christ, the Messiah that he would send. In other words, it's important to God that not only that we obey him in the big obvious, uh, you know, Ark of the Covenant areas in life, but that we are obedient to Him in the private areas of life that are covered from everybody's sight. He notices. So when our service, if our service is just being done for other people, we will do as little as we have to to make what they can see look like we're an obedient Christian. But a person that really cares about uh, representing Christ in every area of their life, whether it's seen by other people or it's only seen by God, uh, they're going to do what God's Word tells us to do in all areas of our life. And, and God notices all, all of that. It's all important to him. Everything about our lives is important to him and our obedience to those things. Then Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia wood, two and a half, speaking of the Ark of, of the Covenant, two and a half cubits was its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold all around it, and he cast for it four rings of gold to be set in its four corners, two rings on one side and two rings on the other side of it. He made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold and he put the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to bear the ark. So they obeyed him. Now the mercy seat. And he also made the mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits was its length and a cubit and a half its width. And he made two cherubim of beaten gold and he made them of one piece at the two ends of the mercy see one cherub at the end of on this side and the other cherub at the end on that side he made the cherubim at the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat the cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings they faced one another the faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat just as God had commanded table of showbread and he made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold all around it. Also he made a frame of a handbreadth all around it and made a molding of gold for all the frame all around it. And he cast forth four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that were at, at, at its four legs. The rings were close to the 
frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And he made the poles of acacia wood to bear the table and overlaid them with gold and made the pure gold, and he made of pure gold the utensils which were on the table, its dishes, its cups, its bowls, and its pitchers for pouring. Again, the obedience. Obedience to the Lord. Not enough just to hear. You need to obey him too. Golden lampstand. And he made the lampstand of pure gold. Of hammered work he made the lampstand. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and its flowers were of the same piece. And six branches came out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. And there were three uh, bowls made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And Three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. He didn't, he didn't want uh, four of them. He wanted six of them and they gave it to him. And on the lampstand itself were four bowls made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there was a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same according to the six branches extending from it. I, I love him. I love God so much. If nothing, for nothing more than his attention to detail, you know, on things. This is fabulous to me. Some of you are dying, but there are others of us who are enjoying this so much. Listen, God has so much on his heart here. So much that he wants to, you know, convey and communicate to the world through all of these things. And then to find people who get it and will do it. I mean, he's thrilled here on this. Their knobs and their branches were of one piece. All of it was one hammered piece of pure gold. And he, and he uh, made its seven lamps, its wick trimmers and its trays of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold he made it with all its utensils. Then the altar of incense. He made the altar made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit and its width a cubit. And it was a square and the two cubits and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it and he overlaid it with the pure gold. Its top, its sides all around and its horns. He also made for it a molding of gold all around it. He made two rings of gold for it under its molding by its two corners on both sides alright as holders for the poles with which to bear it and he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold then the anointing oil he also made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer so not only hearers of God's word doers of God's word and all of it was important and he made the altar 
as he continues the list now of, of the furnishings in the tabernacle, talks about the altar of burnt offering, and he made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length and five cubits its width. It was a square, and its height was three cubits. And he made its horns on its four corners. The horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. He made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the fire pans, all its utensils he made of bronze, and he made a grate of bronze network for the altar under its rim, midway from the bottom. He cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles, and he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. Then he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar uh, with which to bear it. He made the altar hollow with boards. Then the laver of, uh, of bronze. He made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors uh, of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So you remember when we had talked about uh, in looking at the creating of this laver that it had been made out of the bronze mirrors of the women uh, in those days and this is where we got uh, that information. And so uh, the, the, the laver was a place for the priests to cleanse themselves with with the water and all. And so these women gave up their mirrors, so to speak, in order for that uh, to happen. And of course it communicates the fact that true beauty is found not in mirrors. It's found in um, uh, looking into the Word of God, being washed by the Word of God and, and uh, empowered uh, by the Word of God. Then the court, or the, the enclosed uh, area around uh, the courtyard. He describes now the construction of that. Again, the, uh, the commandments had been given, the blueprints for it. Now they needed to build it, and here's how they built it. Then he made the court on the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. And there were 20 pillars for them with 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. On the north side, the hangings were 100 cubits long with 20 pillars and their 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. On the west side, the, the hanging, uh, there were hangings of 50 cubits with 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. For the east side, the hangings were 50 cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate were 15 cubits long, with their three pillars and their three sockets. And the same for the other side of the court gate. On this side and that were hangings of 15 cubits, with their three pillars and their three sockets. All the hangings of the court all around were fine woven linen. The sockets for the pillars were bronze and the hooks of the pillars had their bands uh, and their bands were silver and the overlay of their capitals was silver and all the pillars of the court had bands of silver. And then the gate associated with this uh, screen around the courtyard. The screen for the gate of the court was woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of fine linen, again just as God had uh, commanded. The length was 20 cubits and 
and the height along its width was five cubits corresponding to the hangings of the court and there were four cubits with their four sockets of bronze their hooks were silver and the overlay of their capitals and their bands was silver all the pegs of the tabernacle and of the court all around were bronze so the description now the completing uh, the construction of, of both the tabernacle and then also the furnishings for the tabernacle now God then uh, describes the inventory so we get a sense of how much all of this uh, costs if you're in construction you like to know these things and uh, uh, even if you're not so this is the inventory of the tabernacle uh, the tabernacle of the testimony which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar uh, son of Aaron the priest very interesting here because Moses uh, builds in a system of accountability here just because God's people have given a ton of resources toward the building of this doesn't mean that the money and the resources are to be wasted or that there shouldn't be a means of tracking these things Moses sets in place a means of understanding who got how much of what in order to build what they built and uh, so that he could understand where all of these resources were going and just because God blesses in a human life or blesses in a church or in a ministry and blesses above and beyond sometimes what a, a church or an individual needs in their life at the moment is no excuse to become casual about money or to just fritter it away or spend it carelessly there's accountability here I love it when the Apostle Paul when you go into the New Testament in uh, one of his letters to the church at Corinth he had come to them uh, to receive an offering from them to then take that offering to Jerusalem where the church was under tremendous persecution there they were living in poverty as a result of it and all and when the Apostle Paul spoke to them about taking that money taking it to Jerusalem he said to them you find a man you choose whoever you want who is a man of integrity among you to travel with me with this gift to deliver it. Paul wanted accountability in his own life that what had been given to him by one church for a specific purpose that there was another eyewitness in the body of Christ that it went exactly where it was supposed to go. So there should be accountability and, and there should be integrity uh, in, these, uh, in these things. So uh, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Ahoyel... Uh, Ahoy Aholiab, uh, 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 there we go, you get it? All right. The son of, well, we already struggled with him. So, dad, dear old dad, send him a Father's Day card. Uh, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine linen. All of the gold 
that was used in all the work of the holy place. That is, the gold of the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. This, uh, the, the building of the, the uh, tabernacle and all of the furnishings associated with the tabernacle was just a little bit over one ton of gold. Now, those of you who, who know what the price of gold is today, tell us quick what that, what that uh, is. That, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of gold. And that tells you how, how eager the Egyptians were to get rid of these slaves by the time God had, had got done judging their, their nation. Here's the silver. And the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 1, shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And uh, a bika for each man that is half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above for 603,550 men. Here's where we get the number of how large the group of, of Jews was, the nation of Israel, that came out of Egypt to begin with. We know that there were 603,550 men. So uh, the, typically a man was uh, numbered as a man 20 years and above, typically in a Jewish culture at that time. They would be married by that time. There would also be children. So you start to double and triple and quadruple the number and you get the, the reason why it's believed that this group of people now numbered somewhere between two and three uh, million people. But the silver came from the offering that was given uh, by men above above that, that age and when you start to do 600,000 plus men it turns into a lot of silver. And from the hundred uh, talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, 100 sockets from the hundred talents, 100 for each socket. And then from the 1,775 shekels he made hooks for the pillars, overlaid their capitals and made bands for them. And so there are almost four tons of silver used in the construction of, uh, of this, uh, the furnishings and the tabernacle. Then the bronze. The offering of bronze was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. And with it he made the sockets for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it, and all the utensils for the altar, the sockets for all the court all around, the basis for the court gate, all the pegs for the tabernacle, and all the pegs for the court all around. And so on that you've got uh, 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 about two and a half tons of bronze used in the construction of, of these things. You have, a, you have a tabernacle here that cost in the multiplied tens of millions of dollars in today's dollars. You think, wow, wow, that's a, that's a very expensive project. In other words, God's people and the people of the world would look at that tabernacle and in their mind, that's priceless. That is off the graph. No, you ever travel sometimes someplace else? You kind of got to get out of Modesto to do it. But you, you travel, okay, come on, I'm not going to... 
didn't hammer Modesto tonight, but, uh, but just about anything that's in Modesto you could recreate rather easily, just the way that it is. It's not a super ancient city. But sometimes you go to different places or you see pictures of different parts of the world and all, and you look and you say, nobody could even touch or attempt to build that today. I mean, it just would cost way too much money. And, and so people would look at this and, and look at it and say, There's, nobody could duplicate that. I mean, that is, is absolutely uh, priceless. And why does God do that? To communicate the value of the Messiah for whom all of this was a symbol and a picture of him. The Savior he was going to send in the world, priceless. But also to communicate the value, because the Bible speaks of us in the New Testament as the tabernacle or as the temple of the Holy Spirit as Christians. And to communicate the value of a spirit-filled church, this living temple in the world made up of God's people, the value that that is to the world. Now, the world doesn't consider us terribly valuable uh, at the moment, certainly increasingly less in the United States of America. But you know, one day, there's going to be a trump that we're going to hear from heaven, and there's going to be a call perhaps associated with it that says, come up here, as the Apostle John heard when he saw the vision of the Revelation. And we're going to be out of here in this world with it. Now, the absence of the restraining power of the Holy Spirit through the church in this world, once that's removed from this world, this place becomes hell on earth, literally. It is a, the church is a priceless thing, the work of the Holy Spirit through the church in the world today. And then verse, uh, chapter 39, or, yeah, 39, of, now we get a description of the putting together of the garments of, of Aaron and also the, the priests. Of the blue, uh, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into our artistic designs. And they made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. It was coupled together at its two edges. And the intricately woven band of his ephod that was on it was uh, of the same workmanship, woven of blue, uh, gold, purple, scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones, enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel and he put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses perfect obedience and he made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod of gold blue purple and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen they made the breastplate square by doubling it a span was its length and a span its width when doubled and they set it in four rows uh, in it four rows of stones a row with a sardis a topaz and an emerald was the first row a second row a turquoise a sapphire and a diamond the third row uh, a jacinth or whatever that 
pronunciation is. Don't quote me on these. Uh, and agate, I got that one. And uh, an amethyst. The fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. And they were enclosed in settings of gold on their mountings. And there were twelve stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names, engraved like a signet, each one with its own name, according to the twelve tribes. And they made chains for the breastplate at the ends, like braided cords of pure gold. They also made two settings of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings on the ends of the breastplate. And the two ends of the two braided chains they fastened in the two settings and put them in the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. Commit these things to faithful men. <laughs> I mean, they're doing it. I mean, the detail. And they made two rings of gold and put it. I'm going to take a step. How many of you love this? Just to be honest here. How many of you just love this? On that. All right, six of you. God bless you. On your behalf, we're two or more in agreement related. Here we go. That's fabulous. All right. I love it. And uh, anyway, they made the two rings of gold, put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which was on the inward side of the ephod. And they made the two other gold rings and put them on the, other, on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord so that it would be above the intricately woven woven band of the ephod and that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. Here's what, here's what I want you to remember. For the rest of your life, however long that is, and you read these chapters, I want you to get one devotional point out of it. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. I mean, that, that's the lesson. God is driving it home. It's killing some of you. But it's worth it to him to do that. He is just saying it every which way he can. In big things, in little things, in seen things, in unseen things, I want to see obedience. And what I've called my people to do and to be. Because even as the body of Christ, everything speaks of Christ. And to be less than what He's called us to be is to mar the picture related to our lives. The lesson is very important. And He is very patient in driving it home. Then you've got the robe of the ephod of woven work all of blue and there was an opening in the middle of the robe like the opening of a coat of mail with a woven binding all around the opening so that it would not tear and they made on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue purple and scarlet and a fine woven linen and they made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around between the pomegranates a bell and a pomegranate 
bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe to minister in uh, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then a variety of articles. They made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, a sash of fine woven linen with blue, purple, and scarlet thread made by a weaver as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord, and they tied it, uh, tied to it a blue cord to fasten it above the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. And thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. And so they obeyed the Lord in, in all of this. They have finished making all of it, and they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent, all of its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, the covering of ram skins dyed red, the covering of badger skins, and the veil of the covering, the Ark of the Testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils and the showbread, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps, the lamps set in order, all its utensils and the oil for light, the gold altar, the anointing oil and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grade of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the laver with its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its sockets, the screen for the court gate, its cords and its pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, and the garments of ministry to minister in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and his son's garments to minister as priests. And so every single one of them is mentioned by God here that every one of them is completed because all of them were important to him. Again, not just the Ark of the Covenant and the Golden Lampstand, but the boards that produce kind of the structure for the tabernacle itself covered with silver. It was all important to him. Everything God has called every single one of us to do for him as Christians is important to him. He notices it when it gets done, and he notices it when it doesn't get done. Every one of us has a calling on our life. Are we in that calling? Are we moving forward in finishing what God has called us to do? Remember Paul, he got to the end of his life, he said, I have finished the race. He wanted a completed something, his life completed, handed over to the Lord at the end of his life. And, and so all that we're doing is important, every one of us in the body of, of Christ. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. And so you see it, all, 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 everything is important to God. Then Moses looked over the work. So we've got an inspection that goes on here, make sure that it had been done exactly as commanded and indeed they had done it as the Lord commanded so they had done it and Moses blessed them
He was so blessed by all the hard work, all the effort, all the um, exactness with which they had done their work, and he pronounced a blessing upon them. I just, I hope you and your service to the Lord tonight and what you're doing. And so much of the work is unseen and what we're working on will never be like the Ark of the Covenant and everybody will say, who did that one, you know, and we're more putting the hooks together that are going to be on the poles that are out someplace. But it blesses him. And, and, uh, and, and God blesses us as we do that. And Moses, his heart, he just, in, on God's behalf, he blesses them for their faithfulness. God bless you for your faithfulness tonight. Chapter 40. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So the instructions had been given. Everything had been made now. Now what good is it if you don't erect it now and, and put it into service? So now they're going to erect the tabernacle itself. And you shall put in it the ark of the testimony and, a partition, and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And you shall hallow it and all its utensils and its shall be holy and you shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar uh, the altar shall be most holy it is interesting that God calls on Moses to do all of this Aaron is the high uh, he, God is going to establish the, the Aaronic priesthood through Aaron through his lineage uh, all these things but in this initial launching of the tabernacle Moses is doing all of this it will be handed off to Aaron and his descendants uh, after this. You shall anoint the laver, verse 11, and its base and consecrate it. And then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father that they may minister to me as priests for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. And thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. And so Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, raised up its pillars, and he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he took the te testimony 
put it into the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and he put the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle and he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil and he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle and he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered upon it the burnt offering and grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. And whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when they came near to the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up all the... Uh, up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate and so Moses finished the work and so he obeys the Lord in, in all of that and every single detail now I'm not picking on anyone at this point but it may come strike a little bit close to home to some of us God bless you, your husband, your wife, they love you, related to how you are. The rest of us, we're working on it. But anyway, you, there are certain kinds of people who begin zillions of things and they never finish them. They never finish them, drive you crazy. They never finish them, drive you crazy, never finish them. Drive you crazy, never finish them. The one thing we must always finish as Christians is what God has called us to do with our lives for Him, whatever that calling is. It is never to be left unfinished and put off and distracted and moved on to something else and that's left half done or half baked. The Apostle Paul, again, at the end of his life, he said, I have finished the race. And he said it with a real sense of accomplishment you know, one of the reasons, uh, I, you know, there's, there's trials and different things involved in all of our lives, aren't there? And God's call on all of our lives. And, you know, one of the things that has kept me from, you know, walking away from what God has called me to do a million times is the fact that I know that if the Lord tarries and push comes to shove one day, and I'm sitting somewhere and lying down in some hospital bed someplace, I want, to, I want to slip into eternity. I want to slip into heaven knowing I ran this race the way that I was supposed to do it, that I finished what I was called to do. I don't want to be lying on that bed or 
wherever that kind of scene might happen for me to go into heaven and have only done half of what God called me to do or half the steps of faith that he called me to do and I know you feel the same way I think of Jesus on the cross in this vein what did he cry out in John's gospel on the cross it is finished he finished what the Father sent him in the world to do you cannot be like Jesus and not finish what God has created us for and born us again for in this world. And so here we have this final chapter. All of this, I mean that was a lot of work, a lot of attention to detail, a lot of resources, a lot of demands, and they finished it anyway. And we need to finish too so we can have that confidence as we leave this life and enter into the one to come. And then you notice the first word of verse 34, the work was finished, and as a result of their complete obedience, now you have the word then. It's only that, that and what's going to happen now is God's Shekinah glory, an evidence of his presence, of his Holy Spirit, is now going to come upon this finished, obedient work that they have done. And it's only their complete obedience to what God has called them to do that God, that now allows God to pour his fullness out upon that tabernacle. And it's the same thing that's true of our individual lives. So we don't grieve his spirit or quench his spirit in, in our lives. God wanted to pour his fullness out on, on all of this. Their obedience allowed him to do what his father's heart uh, wanted to do here. It allowed him to look at this and say, I'm pleased with it. I can come and settle down and make myself at home in this place. Uh, even as the Bible, Jesus talks about uh, the Lord settled, settling down and making himself at home in our obedient hearts. And so this allowed God to do what he was wanting to do all along, and that is to bless this thing with his presence. Listen, you can have a tent out in the middle of nowhere, out in the wilderness, and I don't care if it costs $60 million to make. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, you just got an overpriced tent. You got nothing out there. You've got nothing out there. And everyone that comes to it will know it. They'll know there's no sense of the Spirit here. You have nothing apart from that. That's what's going to make all of this valuable. It's the God's Spirit coming upon it because He's pleased with the obedience and the faithfulness that's behind it. And what's true? The tabernacle, true of a church, true of, of an individual Christian life. And then the, the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I mean, you just can't top it any better than that. And whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till, that day, till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Amen. Let's stand together and if the worship team comes forward, uh, we'll allow them to get them to close us out in a song.